thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. What's going on in the background there? You've got quite the setup. Uh, well, actually, that's uh, that's my workbench. <laughs> <laughs> I do uh, computers for a living, and uh, those are a few computers of clients that I'm working on. Currently, all of them are waiting parts. I've been in the industry for over 30 You've been in the industry for over 30, but you've been running your own IT business for the last 10 years. Um, And you've gone through a lot of valleys. You have started over and (laughs) regrouped. My life has has had a lot of turmoil. (laughs) Let's start from the very beginning, if you don't mind. Um, uh, back in 86, I graduated high mm-hmm. school and I went straight into the army. And what did you do um, in the army? Um, well, I, I followed a passion that my father had given me, which was radio. Um, I've always been engaged and involved in electronics in some fashion. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was my mentor in that. He, he was uh, the, the guidance on uh, getting into electronics and later computers. Um, I mean, he gave me the parts I needed to build my first one when I was 11. You know, uh, uh, I went into the military. I spent a few, a couple of years in Germany, and uh, I made mistakes, especially when I got back here to the states. I was sitting in a holding cell in Oklahoma when I signed my discharge paperwork in 1990. I had taken a car; it wasn't mine. Why I did it was just stupid, just being stupid. And it's taken me a long time to get to the point of being able to say that honestly and sincerely. For a long time, I blamed everybody but myself. Mm -hmm. I was angry at everybody but myself, and uh, it's taken a while. I had a a two-and-a-half-year sentence for uh, unauthorized use and possession of a stolen motor vehicle. And I spent uh, the better part of two years actually confined. Um, that was itself physically eye-opening, emotionally challenging, and downright scary in many ways. Um, that's where I learned just how evil I can be myself. And it didn't scare me then like it should have. Then didn't respect what I was capable of doing emotionally, psychologically, amorally. But I also did a lot of good things while I was in prison. Uh, I helped uh, something like 70 some men get GEDs because I just had the ability to help. Um, I enjoyed helping them. Uh, To this day, I still help people. (laughs) that I probably shouldn't. Uh, And there's others that I don't help that maybe I should. I don't know. Um, So back then, uh, you were 24 years old and you were confronted with these two sides of yourself, right? Mm -hmm. You could go very dark or you could go very, very helpful. Did you even take a moment to try to understand those two sides of you or to try to reconcile those at all? No, uh, not really, because all I was concerned about then was getting out of prison and doing the things I wanted to do, which was, like most any young men, make money. Mm. I saw it more as 
me collecting my due, what I was owed. What do you mean? Because I did. Well, I went to prison and I did all this stuff and I should have, what I thought at the time, I should have been supported more by other people. My going to prison was probably the most, it was the first time I truly felt abandoned by people that I believed should have been there for me. When you go into the military, you're told, you know, it's a brotherhood. You've got your back. You'll hear veterans talking to each other when one of them's having a rough time. And, you know, I've got your six, meaning I'm, I'm here to help you. I'm here to protect your back while you're going through these things. And I went through a serious learning opportunity that I didn't learn from. And no one was there to support me. If they weren't going to be there for me, then the world would. Hmm. And I would find I would find a way to take my piece of what the world owed me for that. My next move was to uh, attend school. I uh, enrolled in some computer programming classes and uh, got an associate's degree in that. Found out I really didn't like computer programming and uh, got uh, instead the uh, electronics engineering. And I was abandoned again in a equally harsh manner because I was living in a place that was subsidized for ex-cons and Mm. people on parole. And the classes and the scholarships and all the money that was paying for school was also for, or from rather state-funded programs. So, you know, I, I signed my discharge paperwork from parole, went back to the apartment where I had a phone call waiting to be answered on the answering machine, telling me that uh, because I was no longer on parole, my services were no longer required at the job. Hmm. And... Uh, then I was told to leave the apartment within 24 hours because that was up. How much time did you have left in school at that time? Like how much more would you have had to gone to complete school at that time? About six weeks. Six weeks. So six weeks shy of getting, you know, your education that you, you'd been working on. You're homeless. You're without a job. You've gotten fired. You have... Now you can't even afford school. So what's your next move? What did you do? Well, my next move was to at least get part of my head right and do one thing correctly. I did go back to the school. I explained my situation to the administrators there. And I said, I wanted to take my final exam. And I explained to them, I said, I've got, you know, I, I don't have a place to live anymore. My scholarship is up. I've got six weeks left. I want to finish something for the first time in my life. That was it. I just wanted to actually complete something positive. But by God, I wanted to prove to myself and to my father and uh, the uh, administration of the school told me no, because it would have been disruptive to their schedule. Mm -hmm. And it was an inappropriate request. So I went to my instructor, uh, told him what I wanted to do. And he said, okay, handed me a stack of papers and a pen. And I went into the back corner of the room and I sat there and I took my final exam in 
two of my courses that he taught. Then he sent me over to the other instructors with a note from him that he was supporting it and that I'd already taken my tests with him and he would appreciate their support. By the end of the day, I took the notes from all of the instructors back to the administration, handed them in. I said, I think you'll find you owe me a degree. And without waiting for a response, I left. They had the addresses and everything to, to send it when they processed it. And a couple of months later, uh, I was told that my father did receive my diploma, which made him happy because he always wanted to get an electronics degree and he never got around to it largely because well, he was a father with four very active kids. And that was your first big win? That was my first win that, you know, I wasn't pushed through, but a win that I pushed to get. Yeah. Um, you did. You fought for that win. I did. And it, it wasn't that hard of a fight. And even when I was told no, I didn't take that as an answer. Because by God, I am me and I deserve this. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> that was my attitude. That attitude you know? in, that, in that moment served you well. Yes, that, that really piss-poor, crappy attitude served me well at that moment. And it took a long time, but I learned where that attitude belongs mm. and when to bring it out. So you still have some of that with you? I have the attitude. I don't have the belief. What's the difference? The attitude is just a series of actions. It's a role that you can wear. You can change an attitude a lot easier than you can change a belief. Well, well, back then, you hadn't separated attitude and belief. It was a no. true on ingrained belief. Yes. So you'd finish school, but you were still without shelter. You were mm -hmm. still without yep. job uh, or money. So what it I went back. I went back to the apartment, and I packed what things I had. And I walked about a mile down to the river and cried <laughs> in solitude amongst a group of a clump of trees. And after several minutes of that, I kind of uh, collected my jewels, as my father would say, stood up, put my man cloak back on and started figuring out what I was going to do for that night. Why not start finding your way back home to where your dad is? Going home empty-handed would have only proven him right hmm. in many aspects of not growing up, of not being capable of taking care of myself. One of his favorite phrases to me as I was growing up was that I was not reaching out to I was not fulfilling my potential. Mm. I was one of those students that belonged in a gifted program in high school, but the high school was so small we didn't have one. So I had all this capability, this, this, this mental ability, and no way to use it, no way to fulfill it, no way to, to fill that cup with usefulness. 
And uh, to this day, my father says that's one of his biggest regrets was that he didn't do more to help me be more at the time. Attitude and the belief I had back then of being an army of one and such um, gave a lot of false bravado, a, a lot of um, arrogance and uh, self-assuredness. And I am not that self-assured anymore. Um, I've been knocked down just too many times. Uh, some would say that life has beaten some of that out of me. Well, you somehow found your way from the river. You're, what, 24, 25 at this point? Approaching 25 and Approaching homeless 25. and walking the street in the rain. Um, weather had turned, so I had a... a a little place that I was uh, calling my own every night um, under a bridge there in Oklahoma or uh, there in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, there's a bridge, 71st Street crosses the river, and uh, I was sleeping up under the bridge, right up next to the road. So every vehicle that passed, I knew about. Um, but at least there I was out of the wind and it was dry. And if I did things right, I could have a small fire to help keep warm. But uh, I, I remember this one particular day. It was cold and windy and blustery. had been raining on and on, and it was that, that really tiny needle-like misty rain that just cuts through everything. And I remember walking by this construction site, and there was this guy trying to carry some boards just too many of them. It was cold. He wanted to get out of the rain. He wanted to unload that truck and he dropped a couple of them and he was struggling to keep the ones he had on his shoulder and still pick up the ones he had dropped. And for whatever reason, I, I just came trotting through the gate, waved him to go to wherever he wanted to go. And I picked those up and a couple more off the truck and joined him. Didn't say a word, just put him down with the others, went back to the truck for another armload. They offered me a job. That's kind of what I needed right then was just a couple of days or weeks later, I was, uh, I was living there on the construction site. Uh, I was crashing at night in the uh, administration trailer. And during the day I was busting my hump doing whatever was needed. I learned a lot about the construction trades of doing that job. Just things kept going and it was little, little steps that got better doing some work there on the site one day and they were having some some computer issues. And uh, I kind of talked my way into it and they let me take a look at the computer at least. And that afternoon I had their computer fixed. A week or so later, I got fired from that job. Why? Uh, it, was, it was a twisted firing, if you can. And sent me down the street to a small computer shop. He had already been in there and talked with the guys. He already had me a job lined up, making double what I was. Through them, I fixed a computer for a guy, and he gave me a, an opportunity for a third shift DJ at a classic rock station. So I got to do that at the same time, and that put me in clubs and things at night, doing remotes and uh, remote DJ stuff. I met people, I started socializing in a positive way. Still very upset and the world owed me. And by God, I was going to collect. 
but it was weakening. Yes, I, I was. I was growing up through that. I, I met a woman. Time went on. We got married, and so on. I continued changing jobs in the IT industry as I took steps. Fast forward a few years, and uh, it's December of uh, 1999. I'm working for a uh, a car rental place, uh, the the headquarters of a car rental place, international headquarters there in Tulsa, and. We're all prepared for the 2000 Y2K bug. It was a fizzle. And in February of 2000, I moved out to Silicon Valley, Fremont, California. I got bit by the dot-com bug. I was hired by a computer builder. I mean, to, oh, have, come from, to have come from living underneath a literal mm-hmm. bridge outside to working construction, doing computer repair to now find yourself in Silicon Valley, you're, you're living a different life now. You're in a different realm. And and that wasn't, that wasn't the peak. Three years later, I was working for another dot-com. I was the uh, vice president of technology and information. And I was bringing in a quarter of a million dollars a year as my, as my annual salary from that company. So literally in eight years, I went from zero living under a bridge to living in Silicon Valley, bringing down a quarter of a million dollars a year, legitimately. What's interesting to me in that story is that you were going down a path and you were abruptly stopped and you were giving an extreme lesson in humility. And then you claw, you take that lesson at the moment, at the time, right? It's so that you can accept the, the help and the, you can accept um, the opportunities that are happening and still under, realize uh, you still have compassion. You know, you didn't have to go help the guy unload the truck without any need for, for any expectation for return, but you still have that little piece mm-hmm. of you. And then you, you roll up into Silicon Valley and you get all of these wins and that lesson humility that you've had, is that, is that overshadowed a little bit? Oh, is, yeah. is the, Oh, <laughs> Oh yeah. You're back where you, I, where you were. I was even worse mm. because I was, you remember a few years ago, Charlie Sheen with Tiger Balm and winning oh, everything? Yeah. Who can yeah. forget? That's where I was. That's where my mindset was. I was winning. You know, Larry Ellison, he was the guy who ran Oracle, big database manufacturer there in the Bay. And by God, that's who I'm going after next. Really? Uh, and then the bubble burst. Not once, but twice. Two consecutive years. We had serious bubble bursts in the uh, computer industry out there. A humbling experience. Another lesson in humility. And, might I add, self-awareness. And I still refuse to accept delivery. (laughs) (laughs) At least tell me. At least tell Mm -hmm. me, Daniel. You had savings right? You weren't so ahead of yourself. Like, Oh, "Oh, of course I'm winning and this is going to be amazing. And I'm going to, and you 
tell me you put stuff away well, so that you didn't. Oh, yes, of course. My, my 401k program was up over seven digits. That's awesome. So I, you didn't have to start over from scratch. Well, that's what you would think. But <laughs> where did the bubble burst begin? That began with the stock market. And so literally I had seven digits and when we got done with it, I was down to about 30 grand. Oh man. To go from a quarter of a million. We, and I was looking at being homeless again very soon because you know that 30 K doesn't stretch very far in San Francisco. No. Um, We ended up moving back to Oklahoma my wife and I, and her parents helped us get there. Um, Again, I thought I knew best, and so I had most of my money wrapped up in high-risk technology stocks because I was being loyal to my industry that was doing so good for me. Yeah, right. (laughs) You were playing by by what you perceived the rules. I was playing the rules by what I thought they were. And I was playing the rules that I was being told were the rules that nobody else was really following. I find it interesting that you had this balance of arrogance, of wild, and then compassion. That you still even were even concerned about what was happening with other people. And then you had this weird, weird acknowledgement of there has to be a set of rules a guideline that if i follow them then i'll get what's Mm -hmm. rightly owed to me so it's just like this odd balance that you don't see a lot in people as my wife and i were driving from san francisco to the little town she's from out in oklahoma uh, i saw a car pulled over on the side of the road and i notified her i was going to pull over and help them It was a woman, she had three small kids, they were all out of the car, and she had a flat tire. Mm. It was July. I helped change the tire, got everybody loaded back up in their car, and away they went. Um, We got back in our cars, and away we went. And that night in a hotel, she's bragging to her mother how great her husband is. Things she hadn't said to me in many years. I had been so wrapped up with my work. Um, I didn't know it at the time, but she called herself a computer startup widow. I was so driven to be success. And I was doing everything to get there. And it all went away. And then it went away. And and you find yourself back in Oklahoma. I, I find myself in a small town that computers were foreign, just about. I had to have some kind of work. And I was wallowing in this massive pit, that brass ring as I went around. I touched it, but I didn't get a good grip on it. And that's how I felt, that I was failing again. And it was, the world owed me, and I, I've got to get another chance at this ring but to pay the bills i'm fixing people's computers of a day and working on a third shift night order position at a local hotel some opportunities came up and i ended up moving to oklahoma city 
and leaving my wife and her teaching job there in her little town. Ended up working for a, a computer manufacturer called Dell. I was doing the server support, starting in the ground on the ground floor again, starting over. I was still full of myself. I was still the outsider. There was a team of 20 hardware techs, and I was the software guy. I was also training them to do some of what I did. Hmm. And so that was good. Um, but I just didn't let them in. So I didn't build the camaraderie with them that I regret today. But I still hear from a few of them every now and again through Facebook. They're doing well. Or they'll have a technical question. Or they'll have some memory of some call that we've worked on together and there was some humorous aspect to it or something. And I'll, I'll get a reminder about that. That's so that a was feeling. a, it's a very important, um, important part in your career to, to have worked there. Yes, it has been. What came of that and the challenges I had there. Yeah. Um, that was a very important thing that ended kind of abruptly. Why? So I left Dell and came back here to Indianapolis to help with a grandfather who had various cancers and dementia, a grandmother who had failing physical health as well as Alzheimer's, a stepmother who was epileptic and had challenges so she couldn't drive, and a father who was cancerous. When you've got those people all with doctor's appointments that you're helping them get around to, you really can't afford a nine to five. So now we're in the middle of your fourth start over. Yes, we were in the middle of my fourth serious and severe reboot. Um, but like I said, I, I couldn't work for somebody else and I couldn't be safe and sensible during the day working third shift and driving people around on who knew what schedules. So I hung out a shingle, as they say. Um, I found some people that needed some computer service and founded my first LLC. Six months later, I closed it and turned around the same day and started another one. I'm an engineer, not a business person. And the, uh, the, the current social joke of, but I stayed in a Holiday Inn last night, doesn't help. <laughs> Not when you're bouncing checks and doing things that you shouldn't be doing because you don't understand the differences of a household budget versus business cash flow budgeting. Hmm. Um, and so I, I went through and did a couple of LLCs until I finally got something right. And that's where I am today. I'm five years into this one. Your Indies IT. Guy. Indies IT department, LLC, yes. When I worked for the dot-coms, you know, or, or when you worked for a company, you had an IT department there. There was somebody you called when your computer didn't work right, and they were pretty much responsible for everything from the keyboard to the firewall on the internet. Right. Okay. And that's for big businesses, big companies. Well, I bring that same solution down to the small and even what I call the micro business, that one to 30 people business. That's, I'm their IT department. They're not big enough to need somebody full time, 
but they still need the full-time services. Right, they because everything is technology and technology is confusing and breaks. Yes. <laughs> so here you've got this guy who's been arrogant as hell his entire life. Mm -hmm. Pretty much antisocial. Mm -hmm. Very, very angry. A kind of anger that stems from depression mm -hmm. and self-doubt. Lack of recognition of personal limitations. Lack of accepting himself. And angry at himself for thinking the world owed him everything, including a free ride. And angry at himself for not making the world do that and deliver it. Well, it's interesting because you... And we've talked previous to this and yes. you've, you, these are the descriptive words that you use of yourself. And I can't help but point out yet again, that it's an interesting, it's an interesting balance and choice of words that you use because a lot of people that feel like the world owes me this free ride or I'm due this type of things, mm -hmm. that work ethic is a little might be a little bit low and you've always had a work ethic. You've always I've had always, this survivor. I've always busted my hump. When yeah. I had a job, it was a hundred percent. And that's how you can do for huge, what you call reboots. So what was fueling you? Because a lot of people do get knocked down. They don't get back up. You keep getting back up. Self-disgust. Self-disgust. Mm -hmm. Disgusted in myself for not being who or what or where I believed I should have been. Wow. When we got down to, you know, the nuts and bolts of your, of your story, and we said, okay, what is this interview really going to start? What is it going to speak to? It's anger. Right. Being, being so angry with anything and everything the depression that comes from anger and i didn't realize it then and it, it, it literally just now struck me that that's also key elements to a very positive attitude called self-empowerment mm -hmm. those negative those negative emotions that we've been speaking of kind of in a negative context through this whole thing are actually things that may have saved your life in multiple occasions. Oh, I have no doubt about it. Yeah. They're the I've, reason I've why stood, you're still here. I've stood on the precipice of uh, oblivion more times than I want to admit walking myself to the edge of. You had walked through that anger into acceptance and not just acceptance of these are the cards that were dealt which I found so empowering and, and so powerful when you said it, it's, it was an acceptance of these are, this is the life I was dealt. These are the cards that I was dealt and I played them the best I could, but acceptance of your role in these, your life that you I played. Am, I am where I am right now today because of the choices I made starting back June 29th, 1989, when I drove off in a car that wasn't mine. 
I'm getting to the point every day where I accept more and more of that ownership. And what's funny about it is you think with all this horse crap that I've been through, you would think that that would weigh on me more and more as I accepted that I made it. But it, it's actually the opposite. The, the more I take ownership of every pound of that, of the crap I've put myself through, the less of it I have to carry every day. And when you, when you let go of the anger, it's liberating. You know, uh, like I said on the phone previously, anger is bullshit. And the only way to deal with it is make fertilizer to grow out of. You've lived through so many things and you've gone through so much that a lot of people don't fit into two lifetimes, much less one. And oh. you're, you're standing and you're, you're still growing. What's next for you? That's part of the fun part right now. You know, before it was always, I knew exactly where I'm going to go next. Mm-hmm because that's going to get me this, or I'm going to get that and be this. I don't have that anymore. I've got a lot more self-doubt uh, because I'm more honest with myself. Am I successful? Hell yes. I am. Not by the numbers in my bank account, but by my own measure, I am tr truly successful. Would you say that you're, you're stronger for everything that you've been through, if not more wise. I would say in many regards, I was stronger when I was younger, when I didn't give a damn about anything or anybody but myself. Mm. Then I would look at myself now and I wouldn't see the wisdom. I would see the weakness. Wisdom, I believe, is knowing how to make a perceived weakness, a piece of your foundational strength. Fertilizer. Well, what advice, um, as we get to the, to the bottom here, um, what advice would you give to someone that is young right now and is maybe experiencing their first reboot or maybe they're experiencing their fifth, but they're having to start over? What advice do you have for them? You have two ears and a mouth use them in that proportion. Mm. With that comes along, listen for people giving advice and offering help. Don't run your mouth and ruin what you've got going. Mm -hmm. Guilty many times over. <laughs> um, just, I, I, th I think that's gonna be the biggie right there is, you know, what we've got is what we decide to make for ourselves. The world isn't going to give you anything. You've got to make it happen. Right. And you can only do that by being honest with yourself first. Um, I just want to thank you for taking the time out um, to sit down and, and be an open book. Thank you. Thank you for making the time to do this. Um, I'm hoping that what I've shared, at least in some part, helps somebody else avoid the mistakes I've made. That's at this point, that's all I can really do is hope and give of myself. Well, I think still you, serving others. 
still serving it. You are, you're still serving others. And I think that you did an excellent job of sharing your story in a way that someone can adapt it and learn from it. Does your revenue grow by 20% monthly? If not, don't worry. Carbon Digital has you covered. Carbon Digital provides digital solutions that are designed to grow your business. A website is an asset to your business and should be the cornerstone of your marketing and customer outreach. Empowerment Specialist out of the UK says that Carbon Digital has superb service, understanding, transparency, swift to respond, and a brilliant outcome. They come very highly recommended. Contact Carbon Digital today to get a free audit of your website and to take 10% off your services using promo code ANBRY. That's promo code A-N-B-R-W-Y. You can email Carbon Digital at Jared, J-A-R-E-D, at carbondigital.us or directly by phone at 980-269-0126.